That's like Chris Evans going from Johnny Flame to all of a sudden being Captain America, and you're like, bruh. Where'd you come from? Have you ever What's seen that? Tom Nobody Hardy's gives MySpace it. photos? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Does that look like the kind of guy who makes good decisions? No. No. Thanks a lot, Ray Liotta. Aww. Really killing it there. It's actually one of his better roles. He doesn't have many. <laughs> no. He's got Goodfellas. That, Goodfellas, and Killing Them Softly. Yes, I was just about to say Wasn't that. Wasn't he in... Uh, and the new Shantix commercial. He was in <laughs> Smoking Aces. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so is Josh Hartnett. <laughs> Welcome into Film Tank, the weekly podcast that covers both new and classic cinema. On this episode of Film Tank, we talk about the new Panos Cosmatos film, which is Mandy, starring Nicolas Cage. If you would like to get in touch with Film Tank, you can always email us at filmtankshow at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Film Tank Show. And you can listen to all of our episodes on our website, filmtankshow.com, or on iTunes. And now, here are your hosts, Nick Cheney, Toussaint Egan, and myself, Alex Diekman. Hey there, everybody, and welcome in to episode 168 of Film Tank. I am Alex Diekman, along with the regulars, Nick Cheney. Hey! <laughs> and Toussaint Egan. Well, howdy. Well, howdy to you too, sir. And we also have a friend joining us today. Who could it be? Hey! <gasps> well, howdy, Sam. <laughs> knock, knock. Yeah, every time with this. We actually talked about this on it's our last Eric Estrada. <laughs> what? Eric, Eric Estrada from who? Chips. Oh, my God. <laughs> Fucker. Anyway, Anyways, hey, uh, how are you? Welcome again, <laughs> Sam. We uh, haven't uh, had you on since early summer, so it's good it's to have you join. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Thank you guys for having what we, me. What do we do in early summer? I believe we did two episodes with Sam. We did uh, Jurassic, Jurassic World. World Fallen Kingdom. Oh, we did oh. Hereditary. Oh, those and are hereditary. great episodes. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Hereditary is a good episode. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Fallen Kingdom is a very bad rough. film. That was rough. Yeah. But we saw it in the theater and we had a good time with it. Yeah. yeah. I was being a grouch. Yeah, you were. Yeah. There's no way you couldn't be a grouch while seeing that movie. Yeah. Fucking wasted my time. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Well, it just came out on DVD and Blu-ray. Get the case. fuck away from me with that. In case you want to revisit Get away from me with that. Only twenty four ninety nine at Best Buy right now. That's so. what? true. I, I mean, think Tucson's got a purchase to be made. Put a mm-hmm. price tag on something like that. <laughs> I mean, come on now. I swear, if you guys gift me that for Christmas, I'm just gonna. Well, no, man, I don't really? have I don't I don't have enough money for that. Yeah, exactly. Now we will. <laughs> I don't got money for that shit. <laughs> Who's got don't money for spend that? Spend it on that in this least. economy. <laughs> <laughs> I will say, uh, and I mean, we hit on this in that episode, but. Uh, if that film was just a bad dinosaur film, I probably would have just let it go and said, this is a bad movie. But when they decided to go with the human cloning part of it, that was it. Couldn't yeah. do it? No. Okay. No. Speaking of weird movies, uh, <laughs> we are going to talk about a, um, at least on the outset, very bizarre movie today. Venom. No. <laughs> Believe it or not, that is not what we're talking about. But thank you, Tucson, for that nice preview for a couple episodes from now. Uh, the film we're talking about today is 
Panos Kamatos' new film, which is Mandy. 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 Starring Nicolas Cage and also Andrea Risenborough, who most people probably don't know. Uh, but she has been in quite a few things, most notably the uh, Birdman film with Michael mm-hmm. Keaton. So, this film surrounds Mandy, uh, set in the primal wilderness of 1983, where Red Miller, a broken and haunted man, hunts an unhinged religious sect who slaughtered the love of his life. Oh. Bum, bum, bum. Yeah, seriously. You know bum, bum, bum. That's right. Of all the IMDb, like, synopses, like, at least that was comprehensible. Yeah. Like, that made fucking sense. Some of the other ones we've read, I know you're just kind of like, obviously. Like, yeah. That's we do them for fun here. Yeah. <laughs> Although I will say that plot summary is not IMDb to blame, but... That is kind of one problem with trying to sell this movie is that the plot of the movie is technically twofold. Uh, mm-hmm. The first half is very different than the second half, and that's pretty much uh, that summary is the second half of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway. We'll get into it. We sure mm-hmm. will. Absolutely. Sure will. <laughs> Thank you very much, Samuel L. Jackson from Django Unchained. But I can't okay. not do that now. I think I've done that in like the past five episodes. Sure was. Sure does. Sure was. <laughs> and now we're doing Wolf of Wall Street. Okay. <laughs> that was a really nice transition. Thank you, Jason. There's been good transitions in this film, though, so yeah. it was timely. That's true. Yes. So other than Nick Cage and Andrew Risenborough, also there are a few people here that you've probably seen before, including Linus Roach. Who plays Jeremiah Sand, the leader of the cult that uh, captures Mandy Bloom? Uh, he apparently played Thomas Wayne in the first Christopher Nolan Batman Wait. film, Batman Begins. Wow! I Why s- did you say that name, <laughs> Martha? You, you mean <laughs> I Thomas? I saw Thomas. Why would you say that name? That it's means his father's we name. saw Thomas Wayne. Kevin Costner. Oh. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> That's where Batman came from. Boom. Yeah. It yes. just... Kevin, yeah. Co- yeah. <laughs> Kevin Costner. Sorry. <laughs> Definitely not him. No, Batman came from the Field of Dreams. <laughs> wow. He walked out Is with Moonlight heaven? Graham. Oh. No, it's Iowa. Thanks a lot, Ray Liotta. Oh. Really killing it there. It's actually one of his better roles. He doesn't have many. <laughs> no. He's got Goodfellas. That, Goodfellas, and Killing Them Softly. Yes, I was just about to say Wasn't that. Wasn't he in... Uh, and the new Shantix commercial. He was in <laughs> Smoking Aces. Sure. <laughs> so is Josh Hartnett. Oh, we were just talking about him. Yeah. We were, yeah. He hasn't had a great career. Commenson. Mm-hmm. No, but he did kind of have a resurgence, and uh, he was in Penny Dreadful. He was. And he was this supposed to be true. very good in it. Uh, that's actually one of my favorite TV shows to watch. I have it on my shelf, the complete series, because I, it's right up my alley. How but many I have not watched it. Been so three. Far. Three. Uh, three. It got canceled. It got canceled. Yeah. Correct. Okay. But still, it got three, which is actually pretty good for that genre. I, that was. I watched one. Showtime. And two. No, yes. but the, the main okay. female is. Eva Green. Eva, yes. Yeah. I don't know okay. why, but every time I think of Penny Dreadful, I think of that one Taylor Swift music video where she's like, Are we out of the woods? Are we out of the woods? Are we out of the woods? <laughs> like, I don't know. Leave it to do Santa. <laughs> <laughs> Transition. I don't know why either. To where we're supposed what to be. What a great connection there. 
It just gives off that vibe, you know? Does well, it? I think, sure. I don't think it does. I think what you're thinking, well, at least... <laughs> I watched it once Sam, and I was like, what the fuck is this? Don't help him. Sam, Sam is a nice, positive yeah. teacher here. I try to be. I think what you're thinking um, of is not that. <laughs> 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 it's basically like the worst Smackdown ever. It's like, you're so right, but you're so wrong at the same time. Let me explain this to you. Okay. True. Um, but <laughs> I'm thinking of... Possibly, I mean, I haven't seen that music video, um, but I'm assuming, like, there's something in connection to the way visually it looks. It had fairy tales in, in comparison it and shit. Sam, to, you like, are reading way too far into this because Penny Tucson Dreadful, is crazy. like, one of their, like, ads was, like, in a white, wintry woods. No, it's because that music <laughs> video had fairy tale shit in it, and Penny Dreadful, like, dealt with like pulp fiction and like other ephemera. So not I the definitely same thing did not connect that. I was looking more for like deep underlying like maybe like visual triggers that From like Tucson? caused it. But I, I, I put too much stock into yeah, that. Yeah, Tucson sorry. has layeth the smacketh down on you when you have been denied. So yeah, sorry. Yeah. It's all right. That's okay. Anyway. He, he that. <laughs> Anyways, the film we're talking about today is Mandy. Mandy. <laughs> I just really want to play Barry Manilow right now. It's really a missed opportunity that that song wasn't in that movie in some capacity. I agree. Yeah. Roxanne. Even if it was just playing in like a car while he was driving yeah. for like 12 seconds, would have been probably good. Mm-hmm. But it makes sense that it wasn't Tucson, there, where's your afro? <laughs> what? <laughs> Do you mean my... Uh, my... Oh, I think I found it. Yeah. I, I, Nick is, by the way, uh, uh, for, for listeners at home... This is important. Nick is... Uh, rifling through Tucson's through Tucson's wallet, wallet right it? now. Looking through look, a photo, look, look for looking for a photo of Tucson really with an afro. <laughs> yep. Can you get that out of there? Let's see. <laughs> oh, this There's is, something under there. This is good podcasting. And right I think here. it's what I want to see. <laughs> mm. Have you guys seen Tucson's afro? I have oh. seen it. See, I thought I lost this like ages ago. Oh, There's yeah. two things under there, and I'm guessing one well, of them. That's what he tells people. No, I, I lost this. How many IDs? Hold on. Hold on. Well, Do you keep all your old driver's licenses well, like in the, your wallet with you at all times? Okay, that, it looks like you have like there. four that right wa- now. That wallet is oh, way no. too large. Do you, here's Wait, a, why here, do you have three of these? Here's a real is question. It? Do you have that in your... Is Aww. that you? Who is that? Who's that's, that photo of? That's my godson. Oh, okay. Aww. I was going to say, is that a little photo of you? Is that a little Tucson? <laughs> no. I okay. want to see your... I don't your, have that anymore. What the hell? I couldn't find it. I know. It's lost. Yeah. Okay, so, so here's a question. I was sad too. This is really important. Come back. Come on. Really important, though, before we move on. Um, do you have that in your back pocket when you're sitting? Sometimes. Oh my god. That's you thick. must have back pain. <laughs> must have ass pain. That is a George Costanza wallet right yes. there. Holy shit. <laughs> gonna find some I hard admit, candy in here. I will admit I put my <laughs> wallet in my back pocket. What the is fuck it? does the Ellen Page movie have to do with my wallet? <laughs> Apparently, Tucson has never seen Seinfeld. No, he no, definitely has not. But that's okay. Nope, I've never seen Frasier either. What? Yeah. I don't know how okay. that relates to I don't know. Story. It's like, you know what? It's, like, There's I, some, there's some forms it. of... It's that timeline no, of like, when those there's shows no, came out. There's I got no you. Form, there's some forms of like Sam, white suburban media that it. I just never consumed during the 90s. <laughs> I to you are setting included, a okay? dangerous precedent for Film Tank <laughs> where we have to oblige this fucking buffoonery. <laughs> Talk about the movie. Yes. All right. Apparently, they didn't have Seinfeld or Frasier on the communal TV where Tucson grew up. Go fuck yourself. I watched a lot of Nicktoons. 
<laughs> that is not Frasier or Seinfeld. Yeah, it's not. Okay, guess now what? it is starting guess, to sound guess like Guess what? Kids candy. don't fucking watch Frasier, all right? I went over to Dave's apartment at, in the afternoon, and Dave had all the cartoons on. I had my own that fucking television, really dude. I'm I had for, my own fucking television, dude. I'm waiting for Tucson to be like, who the fuck is Dave? <laughs> <laughs> so, Chokes on you. I didn't know it, Dave. Uh, I think Nick should start here. Not necessarily oh. because this is right up his alley, but mm-hmm. because it is, for one. And two, Nick actually went and saw this in the theater, which I, I think is important. Because is. he saw this at the Music Box in Chicago, which is... Uh, You've got to make an effort to go there. You do. Um, so, A, I wanted what you thought of it, and uh, B, what you thought of it in theater setting. Well, okay. thank you so much for inviting me onto this podcast. Uh, Usually I, we won't have you, but just no, because you saw this in the theater. Yeah, no, it's a special occasion. Um, yeah, I saw, so this is, uh, we all just watched it just now, uh, mm-hmm. all four of us. So this was my second time watching it. Um, the first time I saw it, which was a few days ago, I saw it at the music box, like Alex said, and it was uh, certainly a joy to see a movie like this on a big screen with a room full of people who were there who have most, I would say, most of them who have not seen it before, uh, who were just ready to see something weird and unexpected and starring Nicolas Cage. And we definitely got that. It's Mm -hmm. not that this movie is like false advertising in any way or anything like that. But it was definitely weird in ways that we were not expecting. And I would say most people are not expecting when they first uh, sit down to watch it. Uh, I got to say, for the most part, I thought when I first saw this movie that this was an experience. Uh, like, I had a beer. I was in a good theater. Um, the, you know, the sound system was cranked up. So I thought this was like, holy shit. I, I wish I had weed right now. Like, this <laughs> In a good way, like not like in like oh I you know I wish I need weed to get through this. No, 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 but like this would really this would be even better. This would really make those colors pop. Yeah, Um, especially that trippy scene halfway through. So I was just like I was fully on board, and I definitely loved it. I think at the end of the day, um, what keeps me from thinking that this is like a cult masterpiece is that it for me this movie is just a barrel of shit. It doesn't mean anything, in my opinion. Uh, if you want to read shit into it, go right ahead, and I will not disagree with any of that. Um, certainly there's stuff happening and whatnot, and I do know that I've read that this was uh, with his last film and, and this film, which was uh, Beyond the Black Rainbow. And Beyond this, the Black Rainbow. Yep, and this one was that um, apparently both of these films were reactions to uh, Panos's parents' deaths. So, you know, maybe it's very personal to him in some way or another, but if it is, all of that symbolism and whatnot is a, is a little bit too layered <laughs> into anything comprehensible. So I enjoy this as a sensory experience in which weird shit happens, uh, ultra-violence ensues, and Nicolas Cage every once in a while does something funny. And on that level, I genuinely thought it was successful. Like, I'm not laughing at this film, like, this is so bad, it's good, or anything like that. But I I think it straddles the line between being just something fucking utterly unique in a good way and also something that should not be taken too seriously and i seriously enjoyed it in that light and so when we rewatched it today i was curious uh to watch it on the small screen with you know like 
three other people besides myself, like, would it have any impact and whatnot? And while it was a much different experience, because I, I didn't, when I watched it the first time, I felt like I was trapped in it, you know? Like, I, I literally could not leave. I mean, that scene with the, um, with Jeremiah, where he talks to Mandy, uh, when she's been doused with the LSD and whatnot, uh, even if that's nowhere near, in fact, it might be my least favorite scene, but even in the theater, that scene had, like, a profound, like, weird visual impact on me when I was just kind of watching and going, like, oh, my <laughs> God, where is this going, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, watching it on the small screen, I will say it was a different experience, but it was still trippy and fun enough. I mean, the craft is there that I definitely still very much enjoy this movie. But I basically would not begrudge anybody for not liking it because it's just there and it's nothing else. And what it is, I enjoyed, but I would never – I, I like, on this podcast alone, I will not really go to bat for it. it. I just seriously enjoyed it, and that's really all I can say for it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, yeah, I had thought that I would really enjoy this when I saw the trailer because I really enjoyed a lot of what this film appeared to be to me. And I will say that for the most part, this delivered on what I was wanting it to be. Uh, Nick (laughs) tempered my expectations by somewhat comparing this to the Neon Demon. I didn't compare it. Well, I brought that up. But not for the reason you think. But okay. we'll, we'll we'll get into that later. Okay. Yeah. At any rate, um, I had tempered expectations after Nick sort of brought my thoughts on down purpose. on this film, which is fine. Uh, however, uh, seeing this film, uh, this was not the Neon Demon or another film that Nick brought up, which is Hereditary, which I didn't care for either. Um, I actually really uh, kind of opposite of Nick. Uh, enjoyed the storyline in this film and actually thought that was one of the better parts of it and led to um, more enjoyment from the images that we see throughout this film. Because, um, to me, this is really all about just coming to terms with somebody being taken away into a cult. Um, And I think that that storyline is super ambiguous and it's really up to the viewer to take whatever they want with it because... Although it is definitely part of the storyline is there is a cult who is out kidnapping uh, Mandy, the main female character. Um, I think the entirety of the events that play out in the second half of the film are really up for interpretation, at least from my reading. So to me, that part was only better from my brain sort of taking it as an image of uh, Nicholas Cage trying to, in his own brain, cope with the fact that his wife, girlfriend, whatever, was stolen by this cult. Um, that being said, on a visual, visceral level, this film is fucking awesome. Uh, the coloring in this film is honestly just absolutely incredible Mm -hmm. the way that we shift from yellows to reds to grays to blacks um the way there are different colors superimposed on different scenes in different lighting um it it obviously there's a lot of you know computer generated coloring going on here and not actual color at least from my reading from it but at the same time uh whichever way it was done it looked really really good and uh 
I loved it pretty much from start to finish, and I didn't think it ever went away. Like I, I, I was a little concerned that this film was going to have great coloring at like the first thirty minutes, and then kind of go away from it. But I felt like from start to finish, it was fantastic here. And two, I will say um, the mythical elements of this film really land pretty well. Um, this is what I feel like something like Netflix's Bright was going for, but completely, completely missed on. Interesting. No, uh, and I guess that's we're talking about the Will Smith, yes. Joe Egerton. Mm-hmm. I am, but that's what I'm saying. That that, buddy cop movie. Yeah, but that, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Is that that film thought it was going to be this cool mystical film with these. Uh, yeah. different characters and orcs and weapons and that yeah, kind yeah, of thing, and yet it completely fell okay. flat. I, I, you know, now that you just said those keywords, I kind of see it. You're now. a little mm-hmm. bit on what I was yeah, trying yeah, to yeah. go for. Okay, right, right. But in this film, I think it lands, and I think the biggest reason why it landed for me is because it was mostly an undertone throughout most of the film, is like Nicolas Cage building his weapon and meeting with the guy in the trailer, which that scene was awesome, and. Just the entirety of the second act is very slow played and underplayed, and when it has its big showy moments, it feels like they're earned. Uh, and I honestly really liked it. So I wouldn't say that I like absolutely love this film because I think there are parts of it that I thought were a little boring, and I thought could have been done better. But overall, I think this is a very well done film and a film that I think. It's a lot of the right notes. I think something before we pass it is that you would agree with me is that like I kind of said before we watched it that if this was like an 80 minute movie, maybe 90 minutes, uh, this would be maybe perfect. Like if it took all of its parts that do work and whatnot, I I just think that there are times when the movie lingers a little too much. It's funny because... Nah, man, the mythos. <laughs> it's funny because I'm not sure, but I think I slightly disagree with you in which part oh. should be taken out. Because I actually really enjoy the first hour of this film. I actually well, thought I'm the not... first hour was very good. I mean, I like the first hour. Mm-hmm. I guess I just thought you were not going to like the first hour. Right. That was my big thing that I... You know, I actually thought the trippy scene was actually pretty good. Okay. And I also thought the early scene, which I commented on while we were watching the film, uh, where Andrea Risenborough is telling uh, Nicolas Cage about the story about her youth... Yeah, yeah. Where her father was having all of the kids having to kill birds and, and that kind of thing. Um, I actually thought that part of the film was fantastic. And I actually I'm... thought that was a really good, just well done, It not even just in this kind of film, just a well done film scene. I'm with you in the sense that I would say that the scenes that I would think are trimmed, not cut, but should be trimmed, are scenes like... When the guy and the other, well, the few guys are out in their truck uh, in the middle of nowhere blowing their ocarinas. And, <laughs> like, that scene, if you actually time it out, takes, like, a good five to six minutes. Like, it it seems like that, that, like, I don't mind these elements being in this movie, but the, I guess, joke of the one guy rolling his window up and down, like, you know, little yeah. things like that. I'm like, we don't need to linger in this moment we can we can move ahead the, to the side characters in the cult um i think were one of the weakest parts of the film yeah i'd agree mm-hmm. with that so, yeah. so uh I, and that plays into what you're talking about yeah but uh I, that's there's more to get on when we discuss a little bit more in detail here yeah. in a few minutes but 
uh, Sam or Tucson, whoever wants to go next, go right ahead. Um, I can go next. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So I think that I might be, with the exception of Nick, the only person here who has actually seen Panos Cosmatos' last film, which is Beyond the Black Rainbow. Nick, have you seen it? I've never seen it straight through. All I right. quit halfway through. Yeah. I, I watched it. Um, <laughs> At least you're honest. I will say it wasn't. It was mostly because I watched it at one thirty a.m. Yeah. So it, it was like sense. whatever. And the fact that I haven't finished it probably says something. But mm-hmm. I wouldn't say I hated it. Mm-hmm. Beyond the Black Rainbow isn't the kind of film that you watch at one thirty a.m. I mean, you can. It's more of the film you watch at nine thirty or ten. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like what about like nine fifteen. I'm, what I mean to say is like it's the kind of film that you don't really watch with like full attention. It's more of like this. this this, background yeah this delirious few another movie you of, get high for of and i don't mean that as a pejorative this sort of delir- delirious fugue of like images and motifs and just like nods to other forms of media because that's sort of like what the whole like prompt of that original film was is that penos would just like go through a movie store and he would see the covers of these films at like blockbuster and stuff and he would just imagine what they would look like and so he basically like took that experience from his childhood and sort of projected that into this weird sort of like psycho like sci-fi horror sort of shtick with uh with with the first film. Uh with Mandy I feel like he is sort of reprising that same sort of vibe only this time he's kind of like going for a more uh um a mythic like revenge fantasy kind of vibe. Honestly, I did not think that Panos was going to be able to make another film just because the last film came out in 2010 and it's been eight fucking years since then. So I'm pretty just amazed that this exists. Um, This film, really quickly, uh, this film premiered at Sundance. Does that sound right? Nick, you're the kind of person who would know that. I don't know if it premiered. Okay. Uh, I want to say it didn't. I know for a fact it certainly. That was, was it one a of competition the... at Sundance. No. Okay. No, but it was ninety-nine point nine percent sure. No, but yes, it was at Sundance. I don't think it was the premiere. As far as it may have been the premiere at large. As okay. far as the widest at that point audience maybe was able to see it. That was his original film at Sundance. That I want to say no. Okay. I want to say that was like a cult sensation of like he somehow got it made. Got distributed, and then, like, uh, maybe, I want to say Magnet releasing, uh, yeah. or Magnolia, ma- maybe Magnet. Magnet, yeah. Magnet, Magnet seems like the kind uh, of Which is a company that seeks out these kind of weird cult films. and Like a magnet. <laughs> oh, oh. Oh, oh. But now he's, um, with Mandy, he's slightly more higher profile in the sense that we're now, like, we're doing an episode on him, mm-hmm. so that means something. Um, so, yeah, he's outside of that realm, where somebody... Where a company like that could just scoop it up and release it. Yeah. Um, but I want to say Mandy was not premiered. It was mostly just that was probably the biggest splash at that time. Okay. Very good. Sorry, Tucson. Um, yeah, I think that this film, how can I really bring into cohesion my thoughts about this film? I think that is very pretty. I think that there is a lot of texture to it, but aside from that, there's not a lot of else to chew on. I will say that it, at times, I, I felt like I feel like I'm watching this film through like one of those old viewfinders where you just like click the side of it and it just like switch to a whole different tint. 
and you know that's pretty cool like the the actual color transitions are awesome um some of the scenes especially the one where the cult leader is like talking to mandy before like the whole like laughing scene um is very trippy and very disorienting and i like that um unfortunately i don't know if this does a lot for me i'll be fucking honest with you okay the um Mm -hmm. the finale of the film where nicholas cage actually like goes ape shit and goes on his final like killing rampage Mm -hmm. i fell asleep through part of that yeah and i and i and i and i and i woke up like during some choice scenes like one where he uh took his battle axe and like shoved it through the guy's mouth mm-hmm. like it wasn't that I, I i wasn't affected by that i was just like oh wow okay and then i fell asleep again and then there's a church and then i fell asleep again and then i wakes up in the car and i was like okay well that's interesting um <laughs> yeah this didn't really like do a lot for me it's uh it's for me it's a very slight effort if not a ambitious like aesthetic exercise i don't know yeah yeah i could i there's not there's not a lot of meat to like really like chew on the bone here it's all just a very pretty bone you know what i'm saying yeah so yeah those are my initial thoughts okay moving on to sam i second a lot of what tucson says um i going into this i did not anticipate it being what it is. Um, I came in with very different expectations for it. Um, whether that's because of the trailer that I saw, um, or just sort of looking at the synopsis of it ahead of time as well. Um, and I am actually quite disheartened, um, because I feel like, especially with how aesthetically pleasing it is and how like fan just, fantastic in the sense that like fantasy based um the color scheme is and everything about this piece in many ways and a lot of this the shots and things like that um i didn't i think Toussaint said it perfectly that there's not any meat on the bones it's just a pretty looking bone um and i i definitely think that because while I get the plot and I completely understand what's going on. I don't think it's anything new. There's no nuances to it. There's nothing. Um, there's no new revelations. There's nothing that I found unique about it in that sense of, of storytelling. Um, it's just another revenge story. Um, and it just happens to have an 80s twist to it. It happens to have um, a little bit of a, I guess change in the sense that there's you know that she actually dies supposedly um yeah you're looking at me like you want to ask a question yes i do want to ask a question <laughs> sam um this is related um I when hope so this is this, I hope is, this so is, too. is totally related when yes a question did... about the brother solomon <laughs> Shut the fuck up. anyway when exactly, exactly did close. stranger things first come out was that 2013 was yes that sam tell us Whoa. Do you, do you happen Step to know? Up. Yeah. I do not know. The, the, the 2013. First, the first season of Stranger Things was in 2016. 2016. Yeah. All right. Well, it's only 2018 I've, right now. Now I've only seen the first episode of Stranger Things. Okay. So I I've I, seen I, both seasons too. So why didn't you ask me? Well, I <laughs> didn't think he that figured was your that thing. it would be something that yeah. I would watch. Back I play in 2013. I'm just kidding. When Stranger Things debuted, shut the fuck up. <laughs> um, I thought. 
I'm not trying to like step on no. your toes on this, like, but I'm I'm thinking about like Panos Cosmotos and like his whole like shtick as like a sort of aesthetic director right. versus like a like a thematic or even like a like any any, any type of, of story director. It's like I feel like he really got ahead of the pack in sort of a way with like sort of this eighties revivalism. That sort of co- comes out of of his work. It's like I feel like that's way more explicit and it's way more, like I said, texture and aesthetic based yeah. than like some of his other contemporaries. I feel like he was not a name back when Beyond the Black Rainbow came out, but I feel like he definitely was sort of like a precursor to when the floodgates just opened, like mm-hmm. the, like the past two years right. with like so much like fed into sort of like this eighty shtick. And I think, kind of speaking to that in in a twofold manner, I think one to speak about the '80s, like theme of it. Um, I it, it does well for the mental, I guess, for the mentality of this film, mm-hmm. um, especially with everything about the cults and um, a lot of those different aspects of the film itself those are like fixtures of that time correct it speaks very highly to that but at the same time i'm curious as to whether or not this piece could stand alone had it been set elsewhere um and to me that i think is something to consider when taking a Mm storyline um can you remove the story from the current milieu And put it elsewhere, and does it still stand? If it doesn't, what's wrong? Sort of like It Follows. Like, I know that I am a big fan of It Follows on this podcast, and there are some people on this podcast, Nick, who are not. Um, I'm just joking. I'm just, oh. I'm just, I'm just, I'm, I'm just making a joke. I'm taking the piss out of you. I know Alex hates It Follows, but I think that what that film does so well is that it's able to sort of like siphon off of those mm-hmm. like motifs and that aesthetic, but it sort of anchors it in this weird sort of a temporality where you don't know when it actually takes place. And that's sort of part of the point of what makes that film so menacing. Right. And I, and to kind of finish off that trailing thought as that I had kind of started already as well. um, I, to me, I was not impressed by the performances. Um, If anything, I thought it was too trying and too dramatic. Um, it, it felt like a really bad drama um, or like a really bad soap opera of I say two lines, I pause. I think that's the point, I though. say two lines, yeah. I pause. And I just, I wasn't having it. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that's just my mindset of the day. Yeah. Um, or, you know, maybe if I watch it again in the, in the future, if maybe there's a different mentality that I have approaching the film. Um, but I was not impressed with it. Um, there's... And I, I'm completely fine with films that are not very dialogue heavy. Mm. Um, oftentimes, that's how. Th- those are some of the films that I actually enjoy, where you only have minimal conversation to the point where it's necessary. Um, but for some reason, there was just. I think there were moments that were too dialogue heavy, and they were too monologuist. Um, and then on the flip side, you had no conversation whatsoever. Um, and I just don't, to me, it wasn't balanced enough. I, 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 I would agree with you in the sense that, um, you know, Alex cited earlier the scene in which uh, Riseboro's character, Mandy, Mandy. <laughs> um, gives her monologue about the father and whatnot. 
And while I also like that scene, I'm also calling it calling bullshit on it mm-hmm. because it's the only time when any character uh, is afforded any luxury of like speaking like a person, and so therefore it only sticks that a, out. That's a strike against that scene, though. Yeah, if it's going to be the only scene in which they're going to, it, it a monologue is effective, but if the monologue itself dwarfs the yes. entire cadence of the rest of the movie, it just feels forced. It feels out of place. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, 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 I'm, I split the difference wh- okay. wh- where I say, like, I didn't mind that scene and I thought it was okay, but I'm also with you in the sense that this movie, for having so little dialogue, was so overwritten. Yes. Yep. Which is weird to say. Yes, mm-hmm. I completely agree with that. So I, 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 I see where you're coming from. Yeah. So what I will disagree with you about that scene in particular yes. is that I don't think that that part of the film is necessarily exactly what you're going for okay. in terms of that. Only because I feel like her character is killed off so early in this film that it makes her stand out from the rest of the characters of the film. Define my opinion. early in this film. Yeah, because let's, let's, talk about the, uh, yeah. let's, let's talk hour, about the pacing. Let's talk, an hour into two hours. That is halfway. Okay. That's in, it's interesting. Like, she is uh, I, the I, main okay. character I don't, okay. before I don't Nicolas Cage okay. shows up. Okay, Let, let's, let's, let's just, just go with this here. What, what is she... Okay, thank you. What, <laughs> Nick is threatening to kill me right now, by yeah. the way, for all the listeners at home. Yeah. When... Uh, how, let's, if we're going to get into runtime, if we're going to play this game, oh, we're going to play it. Okay, oh, let's, let's talk about the pacing of the film. Yes. Sure. Let's when is it. when is she um, taken and drugged? Is that an hour into the film? It is not. That's like it's about well, she's minutes. taken and drugged about 40, 40, 45 minutes, okay. but she's killed off at like fifty six minutes. Okay. No. So that's an hour into but, at that but, point. But Nicholas her, Cage is not a character in this movie. That is true. Correct. But her character being able to be her as a person before she's taken mm. only really happens during the first act of this film. Okay. So all of the let's just say this then everything you know about her as a character before she's drugged hinges on her one monologue. I disagree with that. Really? Mm-hmm. Because I just think that that monologue is only in there because... Uh, to give her a character moment? To yeah, so that way we think of her as a human being, even though uh, this movie does not support either one of these characters as archetypes, or as uh, anything more than archetypes. I guess I would um, sort of half agree with you okay. on that, because I feel like, although both of their characters are actually that... I think her character actually has more depth because I think she's the only character in the film that actually has some sort of depth, which is why I think the inclusion of that monologue and the inclusion of the other parts of her early in the film are crucial, even though those fade away because she's the only character that anybody really needs to care about in this film. And I think that then that also, to call your movie Mandy, to give her one sterling monologue is just slightly overplaying your hand into trying to get the audience to buy into something that you don't quite have the money for. Does this but, count as fridging? Uh, that is actually something I want to talk about. Not fridging exactly, but... You know I'm getting at, though, right? Oh, no, ex- absolutely, because I do think that in a, in the year 2018, uh, to have a cult film center around a man who gets revenge for his dead partner, uh, female partner, 
is pretty trite. I mean, we we the the as a collective unit of the three of us. Sorry, Sam. That's watched... fine. I get it. It's because I'm a woman. It is. Uh, no, we watched the movie Revenge, in which okay. that was a slight spin on something of that nature, in which mm-hmm. uh, the woman gets killed, but actually she doesn't, and she gets to come back and fucking kill everybody. Yeah. Um, and I do think that there's something to the fact that this is kind of trite in that way, because no female character in this movie is given any agency, because if you take Mandy... Hold on. Take Mandy, put her aside for one second. Okay. The cult women in this movie do not. No. Does just be blunt about it. The cult it. women in this movie are treated like the women in Mad Max Fury Road. Correct. And mm-hmm. I'm not saying that. We that's... are not things. <laughs> okay. So, and I'm not saying that doesn't fit in with the cult, you know, mm-hmm. plotline or anything like that. Sure. But just putting, so, having addressed them, Mandy, for me, serves to basically fuel the second half of this movie. I never quite bought her as a entity in and of herself. Uh, literally, Nicolas Cage's character, Red, uh, they wear the same shirt at one point. Mm-hmm. I mean, 44. Yeah. So it, it, Love it, my president. It, it literal, I mean... <laughs> I, I just thought more of it like Mandy was quote unquote innocence and once she died, so did uh Red's quote unquote purity or whatever bullshit. Uh, I definitely did not read that far into this piece. I'm I didn't read that lie. far I just didn't It's not so much that I read I that far into to. it. Because I'll admit I'm only kinda spitballing at this very moment. Right. But I genuinely don't think Manny is there for any other reason than for uh, Panos Cosmatos to have the playground Lynchian metal death song that is the second hour of this movie. Yeah. Oh, um, I think when we get to that, I think you're right. But I think her character, and again, it's for me, and that's why I'm sort of hammering this home a little bit, since I think I'm the only person who really thinks this. But I think her character is actually really well-defined, in my opinion. And I think she actually earns a lot of things early in the film. Uh, The most important part of the film, for me, actually, is uh, the end of the very trippy scene halfway through the film. When we see the face of her and the face of um, Jeremiah Jeremiah pretty much getting superimposed, Um, that scene's fantastic. Which, I don't really know what exactly to read from that, which I think that's pretty wide open for interpretation. I think wide open for interpretation in this movie is code for... There's nothing really in it. Yeah. It's so open-ended that you could really just like I, I'm put with, anything see, into it. The thing is, like, I'm, yeah. I, once again, I'll split the difference, because I'm with you, Alex, in the sense that I enjoy that scene, and I enjoy mm-hmm. that effect. But I also watch that and think that these effects are the only thing keeping this movie from moving forward. I think there are two strong points in this film. One is the crying scene with Nicolas Cage in the bathroom. (laughs) Um, I think that is going to be in a, uh, what's the, like a compilation on YouTube of like best Nicolas Cage freakouts. Like that is made for that. The fisheye lens in that is. Yeah, that, that's part of it, too. Just Although, that whole shot, that whole scene was beautiful. Oh, yeah. And like, two. Unlike, color and everything. Yes. It was 
lovely. Yeah, I will say though, uh, with regards to those kind of compilations mm-hmm. that are abundant on YouTube, unlike the scenes that are usually in those compilations, I actually think that's like a good scene. Yeah, like <laughs> it's like people like to put things in there from like the you know Vampire's Kiss or whatever. They think it's overacted, but right? No, I whereas think this like is per- this is perfectly proportionate to what the fuck actually I just agree. happened, though. Yeah, and I and I love that scene. And so. two, um, I love the Cheddar Goblin. The Cheddar Goblin is wonderful, so and we need more of that I in agree. Hollywood. Yeah. This, oh, man, that commercial is fantastic. The way the little kids <laughs> yeah. just scream, yay, as they're being, like, puked uh, mac and cheese. It's on goblin them. good. And you know what? <laughs> What's great about that scene is that after it aired, well, after it happened, after it aired, uh, after it happened, you asked me if that was a real scene. And I, like, it I could also. Be. No, I, that's, what, that's what I mean. Like, yeah. I also had that same thought. When I first saw this movie, because it is so wonderfully captures the aesthetic of those commercials, not necessarily the content, <laughs> because that's what's kind of hilarious about it. But it's it looks so ridiculous; it feels like it could yeah, be real. it looks eerily sure. like something that you may have seen before, but you can't quite remember. Where I was going with Mandy's character, though, the end of that trippy scene uh, when she just starts laughing, ridiculously laughing at. Jeremiah and his exposed penis. Um, that scene I thought was absolutely wonderful and actually um, a fantastic scene for her as a character because then we get the transition to her, them burning her as if there she's a witch uh, and uh, the transition from her being this mythical figure that just came to me and spoke to me and then she just laughed at my fucking embarrassing dick so we're gonna burn her because she's a witch yeah um and i thought that was fucking brilliant i i I would agree with that in the sense that i i very much enjoyed the the extremely brutal paradigm shift as to how jeremiah views her Mm -hmm. at first which is like a as a pariah like Mm -hmm. i see her outside my van therefore she is like clearly a gift from god that i must have and meet and whatnot but also really creepy by the way oh my god i mean it speaks to a a pre-existing sort of undercurrent a thought mm -hmm. of like people who believe that the world is Created for them, yeah. Yeah. Is their oyster. and 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 I agree with Alex in the sense that then when after they have captured her, which first of all we'll talk about it probably right after this, but that scene is fantastic with the the actual creatures that biker cenobites that they basically mm-hmm. like. I don't know if they not hire, but like uh, you know recruit in helping them. They have something that the creatures want. Yes, yeah. um, and so that whole scene afterwards. After they capture them, uh, or her, well, both of them. Yeah, actually. they capture both of them. <laughs> yeah, um, and have her, whatever. That is the one scene that I will grant you, Alex, in the sense that so I basically see where you're coming from. Because mm-hmm. I do see her as a character having her own autonomy. Because that whole scene is so creepy. Uh, a, it goes on for a long time. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um and in a good way, I think, actually. It's kind of uncomfortably mm-hmm. long. Um, so when Jeremiah spouts off all of his stuff, it's very funny to see the juxtaposition between all of his uh, neophytes just laying on the couch, quote-unquote, absorbing what he's saying, mm-hmm. but also not really. I mean, like, what do they have to do other than just sit there it's silently? It's very clear after... 
the master uh, pretty much gets dethroned after yeah. she starts laughing at him, that they all are basically like it. It almost feels like after uh, <laughs> at the end of Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part Two, when everybody finds out that Harry's still alive, and all of the Death Eaters are like, "Get the fuck out of here!" Yeah, uh, <laughs> like the and the elders start flying yeah. away. It's like, well, yeah. this 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 guy's full of shit. <laughs> it's and... like the story of the emperor has no clothes, only the king yeah. has no dick. <laughs> yes, and well put, you saw. And um, for him to, you know, what I would assume do his whatever routine as far as look at me, you know, feast upon this dick. Um, <laughs> I'm Mr. Meeseeks. Look at me. <laughs> yeah. Feast upon this. Dick. Feast upon this dick. You mean you mean, you mean this this? Uh... What's great about that scene is that in that scene, even though he is like l- lurking above all, and Bruce, l- you're hard. Yeah. Sorry, it was too it was too timely. Yeah, Sorry. it was. Sorry, buddy. Uh, looming over everybody, you know, whatever. It is only she that actually controls the mood of that room after she starts laughing mm-hmm. uh, intensely. And what's great about that too is that that's a. The prelude to that scene is her being uh, chained up in the kitchen. That and, scene's also fantastic. Which is great. Yep. Uh, with her being uh, kind of a, a bunch of different things. Uh, well, no, the women are telling her if you just play along, he will be okay. Yes. Right. Yes, and, and I absolutely – and so for her not to do that, but also for her not to do that under the influence. Yeah. You know, like it's just – maybe she – and I, I'm Jane – I'm genuinely saying maybe because I don't think she's defined enough for me to truly start going down avenues of what she would or would not do if I haven't seen it. But the fact that she, not sober, she does, still does not let... Would she have played along if she was sober? Yes, that's what I mean. Like This is such a backfire mm-hmm. of a horrible situation for him that it's, it's A, slightly comical... Because, and I mean that literally, because the way he turns to his followers and says, do not look at me, (laughs) um, Mm -hmm. is great. Um, But how she controls that only for that to be her downfall. I mean, because she employs her power in that room, unfortunately, that's what then leads to the next scene, which is that. Although her downfall is the downfall of that entire cult, so. Yep. So I, I think the crux yeah. of this movie, which is that kind of mid-scene where it transitions from that first half to that second half, is actually fantastic, which is why I'm actually a fan of this movie. So I don't mean to, like, shit on it or whatever, mm-hmm. but I, I feel like everything that comes before and everything that comes after is surface pleasure only for sure. me for me personally. I could understand that. I mean, I, I'm not trying to, like, hark on this like it's a masterpiece or anything yeah. like that because I don't, I don't think it is. If somebody did, I wouldn't even really – like, it, that's a, yeah. this is a movie in which it is an easel with such defined colors and shapes, you know, painted on it, the canvas itself, that I, you know, I can't begrudge anybody for coming to any conclusion because what is in front of us is so defined as what it is that I wouldn't really hold it against anyone for either failing to connect or to, like, compared to myself, like, over-connecting. So, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It just seemed like you were still about to finish, like, another thought or something. That was perfect. (laughs) Sure. 
Jesus. So let's go you can into, cut that out if you want. Let's go into ending <laughs> okay. thoughts. Not a chance. Was there <laughs> anything else anyone wanted to discuss? I felt like somebody mentions Nick, you mentioned I mentioned something. one thing, which is yeah. the thing that I wanted to bring up. Was it what? the kidnapping? No, it was no, something... We r- talked about that. Oh, yeah. boy. It was something right... Well, I guess I said we were going to, but we kind of already talked about it. But yeah, I guess mm-hmm. it's the kidnapping in general. Mm-hmm. Um, the... Those creatures that they summon, yes. um, which I guess uh, just wanted the blood sacrifice of the uh, Ermin Thurman or whatever from Bad Santa, <laughs> whatever his name is. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That's so, it's so weird for this movie, and that was one reason why I thought you might not like this movie, Alex. Mm. I mean, just might yeah. is that because this movie is literal. I mean, you you it can be symbolic, it can be whatever. But what is happening in this movie? I really don't think you are to think, oh, is this really happening? No, what you see from start to finish is what is happening, and it's what you make of that as the audience, uh, as to what you want to get out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's why I was reminded of something like the hereditary ending, where what is happening is actually happening and therefore now I can understand why the difference between a movie that commits to it from the beginning to a movie that builds up to a ambiguous yes or no ending like mm-hmm. I, I I see the difference between that mm-hmm. but this movie is very literal in that when a one of the cult uh, whatever uh, Goombas get out of the yeah, awesome get out of the van and uh, blows into his ocarina to summon the Cenobites from Hellraiser to assist them on their, which is so weird because it's not that it needs to be explained, but there's never really any reason why they needed them. Like, there's six or seven cult members. I don't think Andrea Riseborough and Nicolas Cage's character were all that, like, you know, self-defense, whatever. So, like, I feel like they could have captured them without the uh, aid of Lynchian monsters behind the Winkies diners. Um yeah, it, it, it's such a bizarre scene, but it, it definitely totally works for me. I mean, I don't believe that anything in this film deserves to be mentioned in the same breath as Winkies. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't mentioning in the same. I mean, that's one of my top five favorite films. I know, of time, I so. know. It's just I'm saying that Winkies. So, is so I much mentioned more, it. So Winkies, in the same fucking breath, Tucson. Winkies is so much because superior I'm comfortable to that. in my own film viewing. That's cool. That's fine. I I think it has a certain. <laughs> quality to it that reminds me of the fucking Winky Diner. I'm, it, it's it's characters, you know, shrouded in black in a dirty whatever. Um, in Strobe Light, which is one of Lynch's favorite parlor tricks. Um, so I, I, I like that scene quite a bit. And um, mm-hmm. even if I feel like there's no reason for it, that's kind of what... Th- that's probably the thesis of this movie. There's no reason for any of this. No. And yet that's why it works usually, I would say, yeah. most of the time. I would, for the most part, agree with that. Uh, the idea of summoning the creatures from... Um, I think that just plays into the entire cult thing for me. Is yeah. It just makes that mystical things seem more real to them. Yeah, but so. it's it's mystical without being fantastical because you're watching it and like I said, you're never really led to believe that this is not real. Sure. So it's it's almost like so if a cult technically has actual uh, you know, speed dials to mm-hmm. these weird 
a bean or whatever, then not that I would take them seriously, but also like you can kind of see why, um, you know, I wouldn't say the movie has empathy for the cult, but it's funny how well the cult fits into this universe where they're not as crazy, maybe sadistic, violent, brutal, misogynistic, whatever you want to call it, but maybe they're not as insane as they would be in a normal movie. There's a reason why people believe them. Yeah. It's much like the guilty remnant for me. Yeah. Yeah. Nice leftovers reference. For all of you folks out there who haven't seen the HBO show, that's actually very good. It's very Third good. Third season's very good. That's very, very, very good. good. Very good. Very good. Very good. So, very. who wants to go on to final ratings? I'll go. Okay. Sure. Very good. Hey, my name is Nick. Hey. That's, that's all I got. Um, I think this was a very fun film. I will admit, I'm probably going to have that quote unquote nostalgia factor for something that just happened three days ago but um to, to quote from one of my favorite movies kicking and screaming i, I became nostalgic for things that happened yesterday <laughs> anyway um watching this in a theater with a beer with the sound cranked up with a bunch of people who were just ready to be assaulted uh this movie really worked uh it, it was an experience and i definitely think even watching it now a second time it pretty much reaffirmed what I liked about it, which is that this is a fun experience. It doesn't add up to anything for me, but scene by scene, I'm never not taken with it, mm. and and I enjoyed it for that reason. So uh, I would give it three and a half out of five. Okay. Yeah, I'd have to echo some of the sentiments that Nick just, just went through. It was like it's kind of um, insubstantial doesn't really offer much outside of what it is and what it is is occasionally a very gorgeous and a very gory um bare bones uh revenge fantasy and uh i didn't like it that much um i fell asleep towards the end of it um i feel like i should go back and watch it but i'm just like should i though i was like i feel like i've just gotten everything i could out of it um, I think that this would totally be different. I could totally see how this would be different in a movie theater just because there are some films that are just intended to be shared in a communal space that is built for the sole purpose of like ingesting film. And I feel like this is probably one of those films that deserves to sort of like enter into that sort of like canon of, of exper- experiential um, like weird cinema. I will say really quick, the... If you think the grain looks good on, you know, home video, mm-hmm. the grain just completely blown out on a big screen just made it look like something that accidentally did drop from the 80s. It was kind of unreal. Hmm. Anyway. And I've been a fan of uh, Cosmatos's um, affect before. I mean, I enjoyed um, Beyond the Black Rainbow a lot more than I thought I would um, the first time I watched it, and I probably would go back to it. Um, with this though, it didn't really just it didn't really do a lot for me. I know that this is uh, what's his name, Johannan Johansson's yes. last score, like his last score. Um, I hate to say this, but I really prefer the score in Beyond the Black Rainbow because that was Sonoa Cave and that like that fucking slaps. That was really good. <laughs> this is a good score, but like, okay, why don't you tell Johan's parents? 
Well, I, <laughs> I'm, well, that's not my place to say that. It's like, I think he's whatever. Um, overall, I would give this like a one and a half out of five. I thought it was okay. Um, it's very pretty. It's not much left for me. You know, it's just not my thing. Yeah. Um, kind of echoing some similar sentiments. Um, it's, I, I get what it's trying to do. Um, and I, especially after hearing the discussion too, um, I can see how some of these things are imposed upon it or that you can gather from, um, the viewing of it. However, I just, there wasn't a whole lot for me to take from it. Um, and I think, um, I think Nick, you had mentioned it earlier, um, that if it had been cut down to like 80 minutes, 90 minutes, maybe, um, I think I could be more inclined to enjoy this film. Um, but I think that there, to me, there was a lot of dead space, um, that just simply was too exaggerated too um, too much. Um, that I, I mean, kind of like Toussaint, I started to doze off towards the very end. Um, I mean, I watched the sick way that the dude was like, his like skull was crushed. Um, and honestly I felt nothing and I kind of started to, to doze off, um, with that, which is bizarre in its own right, but whatever. Um, I will say the last deaths is the weakest for me. Like, it kept leaning up to, like, in my opinion, like, really gnarly stuff. Yeah. And then that was just kind of like... He doesn't even use his weapon in the last death. It's yeah. kind of weird. So, anyway. it's... Um, I think... I think it was taking on too much all within one film. Um, especially with being as out there as it was. Um cinematography-wise, um, with how unique of a of a view or, um, like, the colors and everything like that that were going on. And then when you couple that with something that's kind of, that they're trying to do something new to plots and to all these other things, it just didn't work ultimately for me. Um, I will say that it was absolutely gorgeous um, to, to view it, especially with that transitioning of colors. Um, it felt very much like a color wheel, um, and sort of, and some of those camera angles and, and things like that, I, I was very impressed with, and those are some of the coolest shots, um, that I've seen. Um, but overall, um, it does, it, it definitely does not seem like a film that's worth a second viewing to me. Um, if anything, like if it's on, I would be like, okay but i'm definitely gonna like channel surf over it um so i'd give it one and a half as well very well so i will join up with nick and give this film a three and a half out of five uh as i thought this was actually quite enjoyable and this is not a film that i don't think would be up my alley necessarily but I think for whatever reason, this just hit a lot of the right notes with me as a personal film viewer. Uh, this had a lot of the kind of tones throughout that I like in films. This definitely had a lot of the great shots and looks it did. I mean, there's just the coloring in this film is just fucking amazing uh, from start to finish. It really never 
comes and goes. It's always constant throughout the film, and it is just wonderful to look at. Uh, and I actually thought the story here was actually quite good for me. I was intrigued, really, from the beginning to the end. Uh, and I actually do think the first half is actually better than the second half because I think some of the killing scenes uh, could have been a lot better. Uh, but that being said, I think uh, as a sum, this film is just actually quite fun uh, and quite intriguing. And I do think it's a very polarizing film that some people will like, some people will hate. And I think that that's very apparent uh, on this podcast. <laughs> just a little bit. And the other thing is, too, is I feel like that I could have easily watched this film and been in a bad mood and not liked it. Yeah. Which uh, probably is not a good thing for this movie. Yeah. Uh, But at the same time, I uh, watched it this first time and thought it was quite wonderful. And um, I just enjoyed a lot of aspects of it. So, yeah, I give this a three and a half out of five. So, big fan right here. But... Just pretty much in agreement with you, Nick, that anybody who has a negative feeling on this film, that's totally understandable. (laughs) So, you out there in Film Tank land, if you have any thoughts on Mandy, first hi. And please send your thoughts on Mandy on to us at filmtankshow at gmail.com. And send us your kidney. What? Please don't listen to Nick. We do not want slash need your kidney. Speak for yourself. I don't need it, but I want it. That's a very interesting. It just got creepy. It, it did a just little bit. like Mendy. <laughs> it did a little bit because somebody who doesn't need a kidney, who wants a kidney, is possibly a bad person. You looking at me? I'm thinking I'm back. Sorry. Also, you could try to find us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Film Tank Show. Good, Good luck to luck. you. Yeah, we're probably not going to be there. But try anyways. <laughs> Got to keep moving. <laughs> Coming up on our next episode, we're going to uh, delve into the Halloween horror genre a bit Hell as yeah. we are now in October. And we're going to talk about the Sam Raimi film. Uh, from 1981, yes, which is The Evil Dead, uh, which is, for the most part, what many believe to be a classic horror film. Hell yeah. I've never seen it, and I know it's rated NC-17, <laughs> so I'm interested yeah. to see why it's rated NC-17. It might have been just a timing thing. It's one of those things where Sam Raimi was ahead of his time with effects. I could see that. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm interested to watch it and uh, interested to talk about it because I know it has obviously spawned sequels and shows. As and, you say, and a TV show. Yep. And Tucson is now dancing. <laughs> so uh, I don't know why that's happening. Could you like fill us in on that? or No, nah, man. He's just good... feeling it. Yeah, I'm feeling it. It was a good episode. This, okay. This is a good episode. Thank you. <laughs> okay. So Tucson is uh, giving his two cents. And uh, I think that's a good spot for us to jump off. So from <laughs> fucking cliff. <laughs> On that note, don't kill my vibe. Though. Yep. Thank you, as always, to Sam for joining us. Thank uh, you, we Sam. Are always very Thank appreciative you, that you're able Sam. to join us, and yeah. uh, we look forward to our next episode with you. Yeah, we do. Whatever that is, I'm cool. I'm good with it. Yeah, uh, she's cool <laughs> and good with it. Yeah. So from Sam Shamara, 
Tuzan Egan, Nick Cheney, myself, <laughs> hey! myself Alex Diekman, and my ears that are no longer there. <laughs> Thank you very much for joining us here on Film Tank. I know they're gone. We'll catch up with you next time. <laughs>